0: Today we get to finish up the series that we've been doing now for four weeks, uh, actually five weeks, on doors. And I got the opportunity to preach at uh, the Tamami Village campus today, this morning. And so if, if service today goes anything like it did there, we're in for uh, a wonderful experience in the presence of God. You know, we have come so far as a church, and I am so thankful for the people that I get to serve with. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, I look out at this crowd and historically... Uh, the Sunday, you should have seen me the first time at the school almost now, nine years ago. And we had a similar situation where there was a Sunday, you know, there's always a Sunday associated with Christmas and there's always a Sunday associated with New Year's. And I went to our staff and I got their heads right. And I said, you know what, now one of these Sundays, the attendance is going to be really low and you know and i said i think it's going to be the one around christmas time so don't expect a lot don't let it get on you or anything like that and we were jam packed for christmas like historically we are like we were last week standing room only but I remember the first Sunday that I come that was associated at the school, that was associated with New Year's, and it was me and the 12 disciples, and I was like, oh my goodness, did the rapture take place? Did we miss it? Or, you know, because I'm always 50-50, I think, at least according in Michelle's mind. You may or may not make it, man, but, you know, <laughs> thanks for the grace of God and the mercy of the Lord. She believes I'm going to get in. But... As a family, Michelle and I and our children and grandchildren, our our daughter-in-laws, we want to express to you thank you. I hope that you and your family had a great Christmas and we want to wish you in advance a happy, happy new year. So thank you on behalf of the Pleasants uh, for being here this morning. And now let's enter into the presence of the Lord. See, last week we were talking about a door that we have to open The book of Revelations chapter 3 says, I stand at the door and knock, and those that will open the door for me, um, I will come in and have dinner or sup with you and you with me. And the more modern translation says, I want to come in and have dinner with you. Fellowship. But... One of the people at the Tamiami Village, Mr. Chuck Jones, he, he um, reminded me of the picture in Sunday school that I mentioned last, last week about that Jesus standing at the door of your heart knocking. And he said, did you realize there was no, no doorknob on the outside? And I looked at the picture and he was right. See, God sometimes waits for us to open the door. And when he, we open the door, it brings him into fellowship with us in such an intimate way. Can you imagine having, having dinner with Jesus? Can you imagine him being so close that he's sitting across the table? Because that's the language. That he wants to have a fellowship that is so close that you think that he's right across the table from you. Listening. And not only listening, but talking. wonder what he would say to you at dinner. You know, he can't lie. So if he tells you the meal's good, it's really good. <laughs> you know. But today I want to talk to you. Have you ever thought that there was an ima- a picture in your imagination that you thought was accurate that really wasn't accurate? And around this time of the year, I try to clarify some of those things, like the picture that you have in your mind a lot of times of Jesus being born in a manger, in the stable. It's not a barn. It's a cave. They didn't have a lot of wood back then, or back in that area of the world. There's not a lot of big trees. So they use more stone things. And so the manger that we have in all the Christmas productions, that's the wood that we had last week that has the hay in it, it was more than likely a rock with a big hole in it that they put the hay in. And you say, well, pastor, I, I probably can wrap my head around that. How, you know, I don't want you to raise your hand because then, uh, you know, but there are people sitting next to you right now that still believe that the wise man showed up at the stable. Bringing the gold, frankincense and myrrh. Now, you know who you are. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. But you're like, he, he's, this is heresy. They were there. No, he, they didn't show up till he was two. Two. Oh. There's my alarm. That's preached enough. Amen. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it went off. Whoever's phone that is, don't worry. Mine went off in, per, in service over at Tamami Village. Telling, reminding me to call somebody. And um, so, but here we are. And sometimes the mental picture you have in your mind about the things you read in the Bible is not necessarily accurate. What do you think of when you hear the Apostle John? Most of you, if you're like me, I remember the picture of the Last Supper and he's the guy that's leaning on Jesus. And they got it almost right, you know, because he looks a little younger than all the other old men that are there at the table. But do you realize he was only 15 years old? Most theologians will tell you that he could not have been more than 16. So somewhere between 15 and 16 years old, this man named John gets introduced to Jesus. And the declaration of his introduction is that here is the Messiah... The one we've been waiting for, the son of God, the chosen one, the anointed one. He has come and here he is. And from the vision of 15 years of age, 15, 16 years old, you start to watch this man named Jesus. He starts to teach and his teachings are unbelievable, confounding the wise. He does things called miracles. You were literally in attendance when there were 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. And this Jesus took bread and fish and broke it and fed Everybody. You watched him as he opened up blinded eyes, healed lame people, even raised the dead. Then you watched him at 15 years of age. The, the Bible starts to talk about his arrest, Jesus' arrest. And it's at the Garden of Gethsemane and he's been praying all night. And he's taking three guys a little bit further than the rest of them. And, and, and the, he's just asking them, will you please just pray with me? And he finds him asleep a couple times. Finally, the guards rush into the, to the garden. And I've had the privilege of standing in that very garden. In the Bible, see, we remember that Judas sold Jesus for silver. We remember Peter denied him. But do you realize that all of them, including John, ran and hid when he was being arrested? One Bible, trans, one Bible uh, uh, gospel writer writes about a young man running around this garden so confused that he's lost his coat and he's running around kind of fearful and, and, and not knowing where to go. And most theologians believe that was John. You have watched Jesus with your very own eyes. You've gathered back around now. You've wa- you're kind of watching the trial. they made up stuff. They're lying. And they've now convicted Him. And now they're going to execute Him. You've watched Him go to the whipping post. He has been shredded. His head's as big as a basketball. He, he, he has been beaten. His back has been stripped of flesh because of the whipping. And now He's carrying a cross up a hill. Now you know you can't die from nails in your hands and in your feet. Crucifixion, you didn't die because you were nailed. You died because you suffocated, you were asphyxiated. Because the Romans were, were masters at execution. So they would put people up on a cross and they would stretch their arms out and nail them in a stretched position. And then they would throw the cross into about a three-foot hole. And when it hit the ground, it would dislocate the shoulders. Jesus' bones were not broken. That was according to prophecy. But His shoulders were dislocated and He had to start lifting Himself up to breathe. It took Him about six hours. John watched all six hours until He died. He he sees the Roman soldier thrust a spear into his side and water mixed with blood confirmed his death. He has now seen Jesus taken from a cross, put in a tomb and watched the glorifying of the the power of the resurrection as the resurrected Christ has now conquered death. He's walked into rooms where the doors were not open. They were locked and the windows shut and Jesus just appeared. He has told them to go to Jerusalem and to tarry. He has watched Jesus ascend to the right hand of the Father. He has now experienced the infilling or the day of Pentecost where the the baptism of the Holy Spirit was received and enabled the uh, apostles and the disciples and later the apostles to go out and preach the gospel. They have watched thousands of converts as Peter's preached a message and John watched all of this. This is all introduction. Hadn't even gotten to scripture yet because I want to make a point. See, what you don't realize is by the time you get to Revelations, he's 92. He has taken care of Jesus' mother until her death. He has pastored the church of Ephesus. He has been apostle to the first century churches. He has preached the gospel with so much passion that the emperor of Rome hates him has literally uh, mandated his execution. He commanded him to be executed being boiled in oil. And they put him in boiling oil and he would not die. That's the guy that writes this letter. He is now, because he would not die of, of, you know, kind of, Average means you can't even burn the guy up. You can't boil him in oil. So Domitian says, I'm telling you what I'll do. I'll kill him on the island of Patmos. I'll send him to a penal colony. He's 92 years old. He won't, be, he won't survive 24 hours. Can you imagine the Roman soldier rowing him towards the shore of this little rock that's 10 miles long, 6 miles wide in the Aegean Sea? And literally, people go there. They send people there to die. In for yourself. Battle of you know, law of the jungle. Bunch of prisoners. Thank you, Mila, for saying amen. (laughs) (laughs) And so here's this old man. He's probably stepping off the boat onto the shore, going, This must be where it's gonna end. And on this island in a cave, uh, up on the cliff rocks of this Aegean Sea rock. Island penal colony sent to die. All of a sudden he gets a revelation of Jesus and he gets a fresh vision of who he really is that he's never experienced before. That's how the letter starts out. The letter of revelations in chapter 1 starts out. Then I turned to see a voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands one like the son of man clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters and in his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And with his face, his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold I am alive forevermore I have the keys of death and hell write therefore the things that you have seen and those that are those that are to take place after this as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels are the pastors of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches Can you imagine at 92 years old thinking you've seen everything Jesus has got to go thinking you're going to die and now you are getting a vision of him like you've never seen him before. Folks, we are standing at the edge of 2019 ready to walk through a door of opportunity that none of us have ever experienced before. And some of you have been following the Lord for 15 minutes, some for 15 hours, some for 15 days, other for 50 years. But let me tell you, there is a Jesus that you have not seen yet that he can reveal himself to you and give you a brand new revelation and birth a brand new flame of passion in your heart again. And during this vision, this Jesus, this glorified Jesus, hair white as wool, eyes like flaming fire, voice like the roaring of water. This guy, 92 years old. Now he's, can anybody bear witness with me and say, man, this guy has seen a lot in 92 years. And he sees this Jesus and does what any normal man would, pass out. (laughs) Says, I fell like I was dead right at his feet. See, sometimes when you just fall out, You get close enough. When you get past who you really are and think you've seen it all and done it all. And those of us that have been, I just preached at Tamami Village, a retirement community. And they are excited about going into 2019 because they expect to see Jesus in a brand new way. Some of you have seen him as your savior. Some even as your healer. Some as your redeemer or your deliverer. But he is much, much more than the little things that you've experienced in your life. See, I haven't seen him as in my, my God of 2019, because I haven't got to 2019, but he's already there, waiting on me to arrive. I've got experience set aside for me, marked with my name by the divine hand of God in his appointment book that says, God, he is going to meet with me here. This is going to be a great day. This is going to be a terrible day, but in both days he will find my presence more than enough to sustain him through the journey. Amen? See, I don't know him in my bad days of 2019. I ain't got there yet. But I know by faith that when I do get there, should the Lord tarry and I get to 2019, I know he will be with me. Amen. Amen. He gets, he gets a, a job. See, most people say, think, well, I'm, I'm about ready to retire. Hey, John was at 92. I mean, I really hope that there's a time before my 92nd birthday <laughs> that I get to I don't ever want to really retire. I'm putting a little seed out here. I do like the sound of Pastor Emeritus. That means that you still get the honor of being pastor and you can even teach sometimes and preach sometimes, but you get to go to the Bahamas too. (laughs) Keep that in mind, Alex. Keep that in your heart. At 92, this dude's thinking, man, all I want to do is survive. And not only does the Holy Spirit say, you're going to find enough fish to get through the day, but I'm going to show you a revelation of who I am. And now I need you to do something with what the revelation. I need you to write it down in seven letters to seven churches. And now you know you're getting off this rock. But there's no hope to get out. There's no, dot, there's no ferry off this thing. I'm going to get you off. I'm going to get you off this rock. You're going to live. you got more to do. I'm going to show you something again. And so he, he writes seven letters to seven churches. In the next three chapters. And then the fourth chapter begins. And the fourth chapter wires me out. Because it starts out, I'm going to have to come down here. And I know they hate when I do this. but Because they say, people can't see you, Pastor. Hey, just listen. Pretend it's the radio. (laughs) Because what happens in the fourth chapter is in the fourth chapter... John sees a second vision greater than his first vision. You mean greater than hair like wool, eyes like fire, feet like brass, voice like the roaring of water, out of his mouth flowing a two-edged sword, seven stars in his hand, in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. And you're going to give me something better. Yes. And it starts with a picture of a door. That's why I've waited to wrap this thing up with this passage. The thing about the door is it's up higher than he is. And that's why I had to come down there. And the door is open. That's how the chapter begins. Listen to how it begins. I'm going to read it to you. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 it says, After this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, remember the one that spoke to him that knelt down and put his right hand on him. And said, don't worry about it, it's going to be okay. You're not going to die. The voice of the one that created everything. The voice that had the authority to step out into nothing. And start talking and things start happening. The same voice that calmed him down in chapter 1. Is now the voice talking from the other side of the door. And I heard him speak to me like a trumpet. He said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Now, this is important because so many times we are begging God to come to where we are. I'm going to give you some revelation. He's already there. You may not feel him. You may think he's a million miles away, but the book says he is everywhere all at the same time. So he is where you are, at, even though you're begging, please come get in my mess with me. He's there. But he can also be there. See, that's the cool thing. He can do both, but we can only do one at a time. And you know how many times I've preached to you that if you want to see God in a fresh way, you're going to have to be willing to participate? Well, Pastor, I don't know why we don't see miracles like they do in other parts of the world. You know why? Because we sit down and wait on him to show up. And we just sitting there. And he said, and if you'll just participate like they do on the other parts of the world, you'll see what they see. And he, the Bible says, I, gave it, I heard an invitation, a voice saying, come up here. See, most of the time we're begging God to come down to where we are. But if we ever decide to go where he is and where he's offering us the invitation to come to, let's get his perspective and come up here. See, he didn't, the, the second part of this didn't even show up. So now I've preached down here. We see the door up there and we have a choice. The vision didn't start down here. All he did was hear a voice. But the moment he decided to go wherever that door was, And he decided to go up to wherever the invitation was coming. I'm coming, Lord. The door's up there and I'm down there and I prayed twice for you to bring the door to me and it didn't move. So I'm just going to go through the door up here. And the moment that he walked through the door, verse 2 starts. Didn't start down there. Started when he got right here to walk through. The moment he walked through. Listen to how verse 2 starts. And at once. Once I walked in. Once I took a step past the threshold. Once I got in the door. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and those seated on on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flash. Listen to this. This is important. From the throne come flashings of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In the front of the throne seven lights lamps were blazing. They were the seven spirits of God. Also in the front of the throne there there was that what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. Now he just saw him in chapter 1 eyes like fire. He takes one more step past another opportunity, an open door moment and now he's seeing him glorified on his throne. He can't even describe it. He's saying, what, what did I see? He said it was like rubies and jasper, emeralds and pearls. It was unbelievable. I, I can't even describe it. The best thing I could do is say, think of the biggest jewel you've ever seen and the, shy, and the brightness of it. His face was like the sun. It's, uh, I thought I saw a rainbow. Now here's the cool thing. Jesus is sitting on the throne and everything about this throne is described as chaotic. Everything that's listed behind the throne sounds like a storm, doesn't it? Rainbows. When do, when do you see a rainbow? After it rains, right? How about lightning? When do you see lightning? Isn't it, wasn't that happening behind his throne? I saw lightning and rolls of thunder. This should give us encouragement into our 2019. Storms are coming, they're inevitable. The Bible says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, but in the world you shall have tribulation. Storms are coming, but I have overcome the world. The lightning and the thunder and the rainbow behind the throne, but it can't get through the one sitting on the throne because by the time you get, well, there's one thing that's not listed here and that's associated with storms and that's the wind. The wind can't get there because by the time the chaos of the storms Hits the tranquility and the sovereignty of the one sitting on the throne. There's not a ripple on the sea of glass. Amen. Not even a breeze. Says like glass. Not even a ripple. <laughs> and here's the good, good part, Nikki. If you if you will start now, walking slow, coming to the piano, I can stop. <laughs> One more cough. (laughs) See, there was something else in the room too that God wanted John to see. Not just was it just him glorified on the throne that could stop the chaos of storms and bring such tranquility that the sea in front of him didn't have a ripple on it. But he wanted him to see the four and twenty elders. See, they were set there by the authority of the Father given places of authority. And they were dressed in white and all 24 wore crowns and all of them had smaller thrones than the ones sitting on the throne. But there were four creatures closest to the throne. And those four creatures had eyes everywhere. One translation even says they had six wings and there was even eyes under the wings. Full of eyes. Because no matter what perspective you're looking from, there's always something new that God can show you about Himself because we have not mastered who He is. Our little minds can't comprehend the vastness of God. He is more than a six-foot-tall, olive-skinned man that was brutalized on a cross. He is the God that sits on the throne of Revelations chapter 4 that looks like rubies, storms have to obey him, standing behind. Now you get, now I, I just, sometimes I read, you read the first part of the story and you don't understand the last part of it. Now I know why he could walk to a ship, the edge of a boat and say, stop, peace be still. Because he was doing it in heaven. He was, he, he was calming the chaos back then. Unbelievable. And all of a sudden, these creatures start to decry His holiness and His worth. And all of a sudden, this throne room erupts in worship. And this worship is an invitation for us to express our love to the One. And all of a sudden, you see something happening. And if the church could do this, I don't know what kind of revival could happen in 2019. But all of a sudden, as worship starts, the four and twenty elders stand up. And they take their little crowns and in an act of worship, take their authority off. That's what that crown represents. My authority has to submit to the one that is in true authority. Amen. What would happen if we forgot about our titles for a moment and just thought about who he, his title? The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one that was dead and is alive forevermore. And they took their authority represented by the crown and they start to pitch it at the feet of the throne. And the next thing is one of the most important things and all 24 elders fall to their knees in worship. See, there's something, the most powerful place we think is on a throne. But the most powerful place for the church is not on the throne with the one on the throne, but it's on our knees, surrendering our personal agendas to the one that is the author of it all and saying, I will find myself in a position of humility and in an act of worship, I will take my crown off. I will get off of my little throne and I will kneel down because you're the only one truly worthy of worship. What would happen in 2019 is that before we get there, the church get off of their little thrones and we fall on our knees before the one that truly has given given us the open door opportunity and we start with an act of worship. What is the act of worship pastor? Will you tell me please? So I can participate. See, I found it over in Tamiami village because, and I went in there thinking, I I, I was thinking all morning about what, what do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish in 2019? And I was thinking about my throne or my place, my position of authority, my crown and, and, But a true act of worship is not about you. And by the time I finished preaching this over there, I said, God, I'm not concerned about what I want to do in 2019. Let me get down on my knee and find out what you want to do in me and through me in 2019. Why don't I find out what you have in mind first? Because if I can find out what you have in mind, my whole life can be an act of worship. Because I can live every day of my life trying to fulfill the call that you've placed upon me for 2019 and fulfill the purposes you have. And every moment that I breathe, doing what you want me to do is an act of worship, submitting my authority to yours. Now, one pleasant story, and then we're going to pray. See, my boys are grown. The 14th and 15th of this month, they turned 30 and 27. They're married. They have their own kids. You say, Pastor, drive this thing home. Here it is. When they were like 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, they started accumulating things. Like from their grandparents. Like they would give them certain things. And they said, well, that's mine. All right. Right now it is. And then they got old enough for a car. And praise the Lord, we didn't buy them nice cars. We bought them a car. David's first vehicle was a Ford Ranger truck that looked like it had been dropped off a cliff. (laughs) He thought it was so cool. I think Josh's was a Honda Civic that had all kinds of stuff wrong with it. And we bought it, but they started to pay. Their part was they had to pay the insurance. And because they paid the insurance, they had a sense of entitlement. And so sometimes during those formidable years, they misbehaved and I had to exercise my authority over their authority and I started removing stuff. And they wanted to say, Well, that's my car. I paid the insurance on that. I said, no, 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 you've misunderstood. See, I paid for you. So everything you've accumulated from your parents or from me or from your little job belongs to me, too. Well, I got rights. I said, I am your bill of rights. Your rights begin and end with me. And I thought to myself, if we walk through the open door with that mentality... That God, my life is not my own, but it belongs to you. You are my bill of rights. You own me. It is not about my dream in 2019. But I think my dream could be fulfilled if I just put that to the side and start seeking out your dream for 2019. Because the Bible tells me if I seek first the kingdom of heaven and the things associated with that, all these other things will be given unto me. So I just had to get the dream in the right spot. I had the, right, I had the wrong dream in the wrong spot. I had my dream for 2019 in the first slot. And he said, if you'll just take that dream off and get down on your knees and find out what my dream is, you may get some of that dream. Amen. And I'm asking you today, what is too big for our God? I know that there's a family here today. Then in a moment we're gonna pray for it because they're really anxious because there's some test results that aren't looking good. And they think cancer may have returned to a family member. I want to remind that family, remember the vision. He would the lightning and thunder. And the, all the storm and the chaos that represents the chaos of the storm was behind the throne. But it had to go, once it got to the throne, he had supernatural authority over it that even the wind couldn't get past him. See, God's already in your tomorrows. But some of you have needs too. Some of you need to come through an open door. So I'm going to ask for our ministry team, if they would, to come forward. as a congregation, I'm going to ask you to stand. It's easier for people to move that way. I I told a couple earlier today they're embarking in marriage and I was able to give them a little bit of wisdom and I told them marriage is the second greatest adventure of my life. The first greatest adventure of my life is my experience with the same God that John saw. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're visiting family for the holidays. Maybe you don't even know why you're at this church. I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm not after your money. But what I can tell you is if you feel like there's a hole in the middle of you, if you feel like that you've tried all different types of things to fill and every time, everything that you have tried to fill that void in your life and it comes up you're still feeling empty, I promise you, if you find an invitation to come forward and find yourself in fellowship with the same God that John saw, He will walk with you every single day of your life and He will be enough to fill the vo- void in your soul. I promise. Maybe you're like, and I'm gonna encourage the family that has that special prayer request. I I I want you to come so we can pray with you. These uh, and our prayer team can can lay hands on you and pray for the healing of your family member. If there be a need for a healing, maybe we'll get into 2019, find out that the test results are different. Maybe, maybe it's you that needs to to have a moment of maybe you're confused about 2019. I don't even know, Pastor. It just seems so overwhelming. I don't even know where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do. All I can tell you is this that the whole thing started with an invitation to come to an open door. And I do my best to keep your dignity intact because most of the time I let you stay in the anonymity of the crowd and I let you raise your hand while everybody's eyes are closed. But this whole thing in Revelation chapter 4 started with an invitation to come forward. Come up here. Come to the open door. Just because you move doesn't mean you're not saved. It means you may have a need that we need to pray about because there's something, a moment waiting for you. But it's not going to be done by the raising of a hand today. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing God required John to do. If you'll come to the door, you may find something after you walk through that door. That'll change your life forever. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to open up these altars. Father, today, I thank you for an open door opportunity for us. To see a moment of time. And that if a man that started with you at 15 and saw all your miracles, all your preaching, saw you raised from the dead. And yet got to see something different at 92. What can we see today? Maybe we can see you be a healer and heal our broken heart, heal our broken emotions, heal our our family member that needs healing. Father, today is a day where we stand at the edge of a new year, but I think we're standing at the edge of a brand new moment. So Father, give courage to this congregation. Don't let them worry about what other people think. Let them only concentrate on the open door that's available to them.